Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Today, I catch up with Cub member Nathan Richmond, founder of Elastic Studio, a creative company that has worked with brands such as H&M, Kia, and Heineken. Nathan and his business partner, Simon, started the business 17 years ago and now have 33 staff in studios across New South Wales and Victoria. Nathan is truly an expert in creative branding and brand identity, and he shares a bunch of tips in today's episode, including the importance of understanding your brand's authenticity and expressing that through your brand campaigns and the importance of understanding who you are as a person and building your personal brand around your authentic self. Plus, Nathan shares how to discover what your brand's why is and the importance of discovering that before creating brand campaigns. He's a really entertaining guy. I hope you enjoy the show. So tell me, you were telling, you're in a sales pitch and you were pitching clients, uh, mind you, you have big clients and you're telling them you have campuses. Yeah. So I was just saying that, that, you know, I think people love that human element when you go into a pitch. So a pitch is stressful, right? And you're there in front of someone you don't know, you're trying to put on your best face, you're you're doing a bit of a dog and pony show. And sometimes words just don't come to you. And so I'm talking about the fact that we're in Sydney and Melbourne and for some reason I'm talking about campuses. We've got the Sydney campus, we've got the Melbourne campus and somewhere in my world I thought that was kind of cool. But then my uh, director of, of, of creative just looks at me midway through the meeting in front of clients. She's like, what the fuck are you on about? And uh, look, I just think the the client appreciates it because they see that you're actually a team. Like there was about three of us in there, and they they um, they saw that we're comfortable with each other, we're established with each other, and we're not afraid to pull each other in. And I think that's important because if you're there presenting something that you're not, people will see it straight away. I think people just like authenticity. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like, and if that, I mean. Yeah, I know that you're already a very like charismatic person that they could probably say, and, and you're a creative, so you're a charismatic creative. So I'm sure yeah. your mind goes wild sometimes, you know, so they could probably see you like in the zone that the people pitching, they're like, wow, this guy's just on it. Like, well, I going. think sometimes, I mean, for me personally, I kind of get a bit too excited. So a whole bunch of words just flood into my head. <laughs> And on the fly, I'm trying to sift out what's actually relevant to that client. And sometimes it's just like a serious case of foot and mouth disease. I'm just there like just going, oh, did I just say that? And you've got to backtrack a bit, then come back forward. And then, you know, you're just trying to explain it. And um, look, to be honest, for me, doing the initial pitch is hard. Like I'm not naturally that person that can go, go into a room and go, you know, hey, this is what it is. This is what I need to sell. It's a, a, a good friend of mine actually said to me, it's like, Nate, I wouldn't buy anything from you on the first round, but the second conversation I probably would buy it. You learn me. to love you. Yeah, 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 that's <laughs> it, right? I just grind away. That's what I do. <laughs> I, I do think that like sales, I mean, selling anything is, it can be scary. Like just pitching in general is like, because it's almost like it's, if you look at it as a pitch, it's almost unnatural because you're having a conversation with someone, but you you know in your head you're trying to get a result from that conversation. Therefore, you're not really being natural at times unless you actually pitch 
authentically, you believe in your product, you love your product, you know what you're doing. Like you can yeah. actually, you know, and you're just talking about, look, this is what we do and, and this is how we do it. And, you know, we'd love to do it for you if you think that's a fit. I think that's the art of it, right, mm. is you've got to be comfortable in your own skin. And yeah. when people are there going, oh, you've got, to, you've got to do the whole, you know, you've got your elevator pitch, then you've got your 15-second pitch, then you've got your 30-second pitch. I'm that person that's trying to perfect those on the fly and it doesn't work for me. No. Whereas if I go in there and just like be myself, you know, how are you going, mate? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And I eventually get to that pitch, I'm fine. Yeah. But as soon as someone says, you've got 10 minutes with this guy, you've got to get this stuff out right now, I'm like going, fuck, I don't know what to do. And, and I'm trying to perfect it whereas I'm not just being authentic. Yeah, right? authenticity is the key. Like, yeah. And I think – it, like with salespeople, it's good to train salespeople with like, okay, here's your, you know, here's this introduction, here's what you say, this is the body of the pitch. But but until they really make it their own and, and are able to connect, people buy from people. So That's right. you know, half the job is actually being authentic because if you're authentic, the person's like, oh, well, A, they might think, wow, I really like this guy, I'd get along with, uh, with, with him. Or they think, well, I really like him because he's passionate about what he does. I don't have much in common with him, but I trust him because he's being himself. He, that's that's he's, right. He's got campuses. Oh, <laughs> campuses. But, but the other thing is, like, if you have a look at our strike rate for pitching, because we don't really pitch that much. We, we have long-term relationships with our clients. But when we do pitch, it's when we, like, fuck it up. Like, <laughs> I've been in the room and we've stuffed up royally and we walk out going, geez, that was a bit of a failure. And it's like the phone call comes in. Oh, we loved you guys. You know, you can't you can't set up your computer properly. You can't get the words right. You've accidentally dropped in the wrong product. Like all these things <laughs> that that people yeah, they're going. Oh my god! Or that's the wrong slide, or whatever it may be. And all of those ones were almost a hundred percent strike rate. <laughs> when we try to polish the product, all of a sudden we're not ourselves. And I think that you know that non-authenticity or you know being unauthentic is that a word? Is that yeah, unauthentic? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's whatever not the room it is now. now yeah. Is now. <laughs> um, uh, that's when people spot it and they go, "Oh, these guys are just trying to sell me something." But if you are as passionate about what they do, you know, as you are about your own stuff, whether you're getting it right or wrong. People spot that and they smell it and they go, okay, these guys are great. I can I can at least steer them in the right direction, but I really love their energy and the way that they communicate. So okay. that's that's kind of where we've ended up. After 17 years of doing this business, I'm finally comfortable in my own skin. How about that? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, that's a, a long, long apprenticeship. Great lesson. <laughs> it's a great lesson. And and I mean the business itself. How would you describe yourself? Is it a video production studio? Or? Well, look, that's where we started. We like to call ourselves an independent creative company. So what that means is that we do all sorts of campaigns. So we're able to – we've got a creative team that's able to come up with creatives based on business challenges and then we're able to execute those. So we're able – we've got a whole studio where we're able to build websites, we're able to build videos, we do digital, we do video campaigns, you name it. And and what that means for a client is the fact that they can come in and deal with the same team all the way through and then our team actually understands what your business is about. So a lot of the good campaigns we've done have actually come about because we've been doing – all their internal communications, so all their, their inward-facing stuff, and that gives us a really good understanding of what they're trying to achieve. So when they go, oh, we want to do an above-the-line campaign or whatever that, whatever that may be, we actually understand what their motives are rather than just turning up and going, hey, we can make it look great 
and then it doesn't hit anything, we're able to go, okay, so what's the business objective here? Right, you're trying to sell things or you're trying to get brand recognition or, or brand loyalty. We're able to tune right into that and be able to form a creative around that rather than just going, we can make it look great, which is what a lot of agencies do because they're after awards and we're, we're actually after business objectives. And I think the, the reason that came about is that our upbringing was all through um, publishing platforms and sales teams. So we've been closely associated to sales guys. Why and, is that? How? Well, okay, I'll rewind. I'll tell you how we started. So we actually started as a video production company many, many years ago, so 17 years ago. And that's when Simon, my business partner, and I got together and we saw that there was this thing coming called the World Wide Web and apparently it was going to be really huge for everyone. And and um, what we noticed just from our previous jobs is that advertising agencies weren't really embracing this digital workflow and TV wasn't doing digital very well as well. And we'd both been TV and advertising, well, TV and post-production guys, but working for advertising companies. And part of my role was trying to convince TV departments that they should consider digital workflows. And I was outright told by many well-known big agencies that there's no fucking way my directors are going to put their pictures on a phone. That's outright, right? And I went, oh, okay, well, thanks, and there's an opportunity here. That kind of put a fire in the belly. I was like, well, let's do it differently. Let's, let's show these guys that it can be done and that there's a real opportunity here in creating content for, for online. Now, mind you, this is when we're talking about Real Player. I don't know whether you remember Real Player. It was like, like it was about twelve pixels on a phone. It was crunchy. <laughs> it was awful. No wonder they were freaking out that there was some kook in their in their boardroom going, "Hey guys, you should do your ads on this." They'd be like, "No way, right?" That that, that would have said, "There's no future in this." But then the iPhone came out, and then all of a sudden the game changed because everyone could see pictures in full resolution on their phones. And for us, there was a sweet spot up the middle. There was uh, high quality content for online that, um, you know, TV, we were doing differently to TV and we were doing it differently to web companies. So what we were saying is TV was doing web badly and web was doing TV badly. And there was a sweet spot up the middle where we were doing high quality productions for both of them online. And so in our attempt to try and get away from TV, we actually did the most TV we've ever done because we got noticed by Channel 7 and Yahoo 7 and they went, these guys are doing something different here. And we were, we were in-house for the Seven Media Group for 10 years. So we were doing uh, integrated campaigns. Uh, that's that's fairly much became our specialty. So we were doing um, like cutting-edge kind of campaigns, like digital campaigns. We did the first AR broadcast in Australia. We did the first six-seconders. We did the first 20-seconder outdoors. We've done all these amazing media firsts and that was because we were in within the seven media group. And so is that when you started – so when you started the company, you were uh, kind of like a subsidiary company to yeah, seven? Yeah, so we were we were our own company. We were, we were given a retainer, um, which at the time we thought was huge. We thought this is so big, it's massive. We look back on it now and it's like, oh, my God, like it's a wonder we survived. But at the time it was like, this is great. We've got access to Pac uh, Pacific Magazines. We've got access to Channel 7. We've got access to Yahoo 7. 
we're being taken into these big meetings. Like you've got to remember we're two production guys, right, that just all of a sudden are in the meeting with the the head of, I don't know, Procter & Gamble or, you know, all these big companies. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And, and But the thing is it was a really great time. It was, it was kind of the peak of digital and broadcast coming together and there was truly integrated campaigns being delivered. So when we get briefed in about video, we're actually thinking about every channel all the time. So we've got a real publishing sort of way of thinking about things. If someone goes, hey, I need a 30-second TVC, we're thinking, can it go outdoor? Is it going to go to print? Is it going to be a digital ad? Can you create a library of images? And that's how we kind of add that value where some others can't because they're just going, well, let's make this ad the best ad we possibly can and get the most expensive director and all this sort of stuff. We're thinking about the value to the company and that's where that's that that. I guess apprenticeship helped us change our thinking in the way that we approach things and that gives us that little bit of difference in market where we're not turning up just as a creative agency. We're actually thinking about all distribution. We're thinking about how we can do it differently. We're thinking about how we can give client value. And so now what positions the company? So you're across Sydney and Melbourne. You've got over 30 people in-house doing all your yeah. creative and uh, I guess um, um, building the websites and building yeah. the thing. Yeah, so, so we're in Sydney and Melbourne in studios, not campuses, and uh, we've got 33 people in total. I think that's going up this week or next week, we've had like a massive spurt of growth. So it's hard to keep up with numbers sometimes. Um, but, yeah, we've been building in Sydney for quite some time and then the Melbourne studio is a bit younger, so it's about five years old and they're doing really well down there. And, and look, the, the thing is our model is really flexible, right? So because of the way we work, because we do offer creative and production, we actually work with other creative agencies and we've got some really great partnerships going on that, that we do some amazing work with and because everyone knows where they sit at the table. We've been doing business for so long that if it's about pinching clients, it's going to be a very short game. So we've got really like quite big agencies working with us hand in hand because they trust what we can do from a production standpoint but then when we're dealing directly with clients, then we're able to offer that creative solution as well. And that's both in Sydney and Melbourne. And you you deal with some big – I mean, I, I know you do a breadth of clients, but I know you've – I looked on your website, you've worked with some some monster brands as well. Yeah. Um, how is it that you get in with those brands and, and what's it like working with them? You know what? It's They come in all sorts of different ways. You know, I, I'd love to – I'd love to be able to – offer the advice of, you know, I've got a system or a solution. Um, I just – personally, I just reach out to a lot of people and I keep in contact with a lot of people. And so you don't know where um, marketers or directors or even other suppliers are going to be next week or next year or in five years. I've had a business development thing happening on one person that took five years to convert and and – it's not like I've got like a, a hard and fast system. It's just about keeping in contact with people and being relevant, right, and being relevant to them. So it's like, oh, I just saw this about um, indoor pollution. So, hey, Dakin, I thought this was relevant to you guys. And then that conversation keeps rolling on, right? And and it's also just trying to talk to people in a personal way. We're all, we're all humans, right? 
And I think there's this real barrier for some people where they actually see the client as a brand and not as a person. So it's like talk to them about footy, talk to them about what's going on with their kids, talk to them about what they did on the weekend rather than just going straight in and going, okay, this is what I can do for your brand and this is how we can shape this and do that. And it's like talk to people as humans and and the work might come from it, you know. Well, I think that you've like what you're highlighting is like it's basically what I know best in this world. It's it's everything's about relationships. Yeah. You're a good person, you're friends with with people and, and you build these relationships. Like people work with people they trust and like. They, they, they but it's not instant. That's right. You know, it's even like I tell people at Cub, it's like, yeah, okay, some people get instant uh, you know, the clients and things like that. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to put you in an environment that allows for new relationships to be formed because I know for a fact that they will deliver on something. Relationships are mutually beneficial. That's So right. they have to deliver on something, whether it be, you know, client or whether it be support or, or knowledge or education or shared opportunity or they refer someone to you. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's about having the relationships and maintaining them. And, and also um, – it mightn't be right now. That's the other thing. Like, like I, I think within business we all want everything to happen very quickly. And as we know, if you've been in business for a while, if you say it's going to be two weeks, it's going to be four weeks, if it's going to be four weeks, it's going to be eight weeks. And, yeah, and, 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 and that goes with relationships. You should, you should cherish what you've got in the relationship rather than trying to extract something from that person, right? So they'll have something that they'll naturally give to you and you'll have stuff that you naturally give to them. I've met some like – freaking amazing people at Cub and they're all the people that don't want anything from you, right? Always. Always. Yeah. And it's hard to actually teach people that Yeah, though. Yeah. And, yeah. And the thing is once you click into that, it's like without getting all hippie on everyone, the universe gives back to you, right? You're, you're, you're hooking people up. You're, you're going, you guys should get together. You should chat. You should do this. And since I've ch- had that mindset change, which is quite a while ago, but it was probably one of the reasons why I joined Cub is – it all starts to come back to you and it's all about flow. And if you just keep the flow happening and if you're just talking to people and being genuinely interested in them, it's it, it's an easy game. I agree. And, and like you said, like we started the conversation, just being authentic, just being yourself. When yeah. you're yourself, you connect with people that you connect with and, yeah. and, and they end up being just relationships. Yeah. And and so you've worked on some – I just want to get back to the big, yeah, yeah, yeah. big campaigns. Um, like you've worked on H&M, yeah. Kia. Kia. Um, I guess how do you approach uh, creating a brand campaign? So what's your what's your methodology in saying okay, well this is the company, well like this is H&M's objective, this is yeah. how we got there. Yeah. Look, I I guess the first thing is 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 getting that initial brief and trying to understand what they're actually trying to achieve because sometimes marketers will ask for one thing but they actually mean another. The other thing is is not trying to force your services on them in the way that that person perceives you. And what I mean by that is that we usually get you're the video guys and we're not. So sometimes the the campaign might require no video and sometimes you might have to pass up on the brief. And that's really – that's a hard thing to do when you're in business because you're like, oh, there goes some money out the door. But the thing is you've got to to come up with solutions that actually make sense and and there's no use doing things like – okay, I've, I've listened to you and what we're going to give you is a $2 million campaign. And they go, yeah, but I've told you, I've got 50 grand, <laughs> right? There's there's no use doing that. So it's working with those people and managing expectations the whole time. You're there going, okay, what are you trying to achieve 
what's the audience you're trying to get to, then it's us taking that away and going, okay, guys, we've got some tools that we use, which are creativity tools, and they're they're all really cool things. Well, where where there's some of them is just like going, okay, what's that industry doing, and and adapting to what we're doing, right? Or what's something that we really love, and just have a look at how they're doing things. So there's a there's a lot of uh, Paying, I like to call it paying homage to a lot of things where you, you, you're looking at what other people are doing. You're also doing uh, competitor analysis. So you don't want to jump into the market and be in the same pool as what your competitor's doing. So, yeah, if it is a, a, a let's say it's a Kia or let, let's say it is an H&M, you know, what's Zara What's Zara doing? You know, what what's Country Road doing? What are these guys doing? Okay, so how can we be different to those guys? And then... What do we like about those guys as well? You've got to look at every aspect of it and break it down. And then and then it really just comes down to, okay, within the budget, I know you're aiming for – this is usually what happens with clients. They, they give you the reference and it's like a $5 million campaign. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but what you've got to do is not be frustrated by that. You've got to actually embrace it and go, okay, what is it they're seeing in that campaign that's really getting them excited and how do we replicate that? And that's what we kind of really um, were proud – well, we still are proud of, of being able to get a result that looks a million bucks that wasn't a million bucks to make. See, I think that is so valuable because I remember me and Laura like seven years ago, I can't, whenever we did our first well, our first and only TV commercials, yeah. um, <laughs> I remember us going to the creative company. They're like, look, find us – um, you know, find us uh, something you like. You yeah. <laughs> we, we brought them the Apple Think Different. Of course campaign. you did. Of course you did. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's, it's because those ads work, right? And, and also, I mean, in, in our defence, in the defence of everyone that's ever done something similar, those are the campaigns that you know. Yeah. You know, you've seen yeah. them. They're the big campaigns that they put a lot of money in and but you've I seen them on it, TV. I think it's also, though, what you take out of that, if we were to use the process that we're using, is what, what, what does that ad make you feel? Like why did you pick it? What does it make you feel? Okay, it makes you feel proud of your business, let's say. It might be about pride. Okay, so what can we do to replicate that feeling and make it feel epic for you without spending epic bucks, right? Which is, you know. I think that's invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so you've just, it's really, because people get excited about the whole thing, right? You look at that that Apple, oh, mate. But you've got to sort of keep asking, like, you know, it's that whole five whys sort of thing. You just keep asking why. Why is it good? Why do you like it? Why why does it make you feel that way? And then you get down to the core of what you're actually going, oh, okay, that's about, I don't know, we want the club to feel epic. Okay, great. So from our point of view, from the craft, we might shoot up and under so everyone looks huge and, you know, we put everyone in slow-mo and all those sorts of things because we're associating epic to all those techniques where we know we can make people feel bigger and bolder and, you know, put them next to windows and get backlight and make them, you know, have a halos and all those sorts of tricks that we've got. But you've got to know why you're using them. You can't just go oh, we're just going to make you feel big and whatever. And it's like, okay, but why? You know, you've got to get to the nub of what you're trying to communicate. I think the why is a, is a, is a, is so important because 
like, and I speak on in, in reference to Cub because that's what I know, but there have been times where we've done campaigns or we've spent lots of money on things, but we ourselves didn't really understand our why. And then they ended up being a waste of money. So I could imagine like part of your role would be like, helping the client sometimes understand what the why is, you know. And, and not that's just part listening. of that. That's part of that process, right? So the process at the beginning is why are you doing this? You know, why you want to spend that much money? Why, you know, what is the what is the marketing outcome that you're trying to get here? And there was a big lesson for us. I'm not going to name names or brands, but there was a big campaign that was 360 technology um, and, and, and we're all going, why did they shoot it that way? And when I spoke to the marketer that had engaged them, I'm there going, oh, wow, this, that campaign, that was huge. Like, it looked great and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, yeah, it didn't convert though. It didn't, we spent all that money, it didn't convert. And that's always stuck with me. It's like, well, it's got to have an outcome. No matter how clever you think you are in the storytelling, it's got to have an outcome for marketers. Otherwise, it's it, – it, it, it's worth nothing. It's just a big spend. And you've got to remember, this is something that we always say to our team, that at a minimum, someone is putting forward probably the cash for a car, sometimes enough for a deposit on a house. They want results. You know, that's a lot of money to just push over the desk and go, hey, I need you. I'm trusting you to get me results. Like that's a big investment. So you've got to think of it that way. You're like, okay, well, this person's investing a lot. What a What's the outcomes that they're trying to get? Sometimes you've got to push them there. Sometimes they know exactly what they need. And that's relevant to all businesses really. Like at the end of the day, you're taking someone's money and you're taking it because they're expecting a specific job or outcome to happen. That's right. It's, you know, an, it's an investment. It's an investment. And you just have to, you have to make sure you've communicated that outcome so they know what they're supposed to be receiving and then make sure you can actually deliver on it. And, and that's it. I mean, look, what, what we've learned across the years also is just uh, community, like, you know, Funnily enough, we're in marketing and all that sort of stuff. Communication is key, but sometimes we all forget to do it, right? And so it's it's that constant communication with clients that's really important as well. It's, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how you're going to come along for the ride. And then having those check-ins with clients is really important because we've come from a world – I don't think it happens so much now, but we used to call it the ta-da moments – where someone would take your idea, put it into the big black advertising box and then go, ta-da, at the end of it. And everyone was supposed to go, oh, wow, you've really nailed it, right? That doesn't happen as much anymore and you've just you've got to make sure that you are checking with clients so you're managing expectations. They know exactly what they're getting. And, and really, if you're checking in with it, it actually frees you up creatively because you know what your guide rails are and you can get exactly what they're after, but then you can go and do what you need. So it's one for you, one for me, and we'll see what happens in the edit suite or we'll see what happens when we're in that creative uh, miasma and, and, and bolt it together in a different way, but we're, we're actually still being guided by those guide rails that, that's been set up by you and the client. And you've got to lead that, like otherwise, because they're sitting back going, okay, you're the experts. And so you've got to be able to check, keep checking in and keep talking to them to make sure that everyone gets what they need at the end, gets what they need or better, and it's usually all better. It, I would imagine it being quite a stressful job because you know, it's almost like being like a wedding dress designer in <laughs> that like, you know, they've paid, they've paid up front, 
they've kind of told you what they like, but you know, they can't really visualize it that well. And like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, they're kind of just telling you what they like. You then are responsible for going and orchestrating all these people to create something and they, you, you won't know if they like it until the very end. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, the wedding dress, it matters if they like it, but in your <laughs> case, it's kind of like, does it create the result that they want? You know, like, yeah. it's almost a nervous thing. Do you ever get nervous? Uh, at the end? Look, you know, I'm in a constant state of nervousness. That's, that's only a business, <laughs> right? But, but it's, uh, if you are doing that checking in, there shouldn't be surprises. You can have, you can have prickly clients like in every business and people can do an about face, you know. It's like you've all talked about filming this person in a red dress and we get to the edit suite and they ask why the person's in a red dress. We've had, we've had those moments. So doing a whole bunch of special effects to turn those sorts of things around and make it good. But but the thing is it's being able to have those robust conversations and not take it personally. Like you get used to it. It's not a, it, it's not a natural thing, right? Because everyone's got something on the line, but you've got to be able to have those conversations and you've got to get rid of awkwardness very quickly, right? And that's that can only come through immediacy. So if it's like that's not what I asked for, then you've got to come up with solutions very quickly and but you've got to talk it through very quickly because it, sometimes it might be, well, that is what you asked for. And now we've got to change it and it's out of scope and we can have that discussion or it could be we can make that happen, right? And that happens on set all the time. Like in the, in your mind's eye you go, oh, that shot of you looks really great, right? And then you get on set and you're like, oh, it's a little bit shit. So everyone's got to on the fly come up with something creative and then get a, that approval from client on set to make it happen because you want it to happen on set you don't want to have to reconstruct something in post-production. Yeah, I always find like, I mean, that that miscommunication or people forget what you say, that happens across all aspects of business. Like I've learned to, after every meeting, send yeah. <laughs> email. Like yeah. this is what we said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like oh, no, it's to. there, it's written. Yeah, there's no changing. Yeah, and look, and that's okay. Look, what it does is it just sets out exactly what everyone's spoken about and then that gives everyone a chance to modify that as well because – in the heat of the moment, you might go, oh, yeah, that's the solution. Everyone steps away for five minutes, gets a bit of space. They go, actually, that's a bit shit. Why don't we do it this way? And, but but it, it just means everything's marked down for everyone. Just yeah. so so it's – I don't like it being this whole us versus them sort of client scenario. It's more about what are the guide rails for everyone that we cannot – because it's creative process. But right? I, yeah, I, I think it helps though. It, it, it's definitely not us versus them, but it's more so let's not – let's not any of us look like an idiot. That's right. Because like, you know, I could be like, oh shit, yeah, I did say I wanted that. But you know what? After seeing it, it's just not what I want. And yeah. then at least I don't look stupid. You feel good about it. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it allows for honesty, having like the trail of conversation. That's right. Yeah. And, and it, it also just means that like I was just saying that for creative process, there's a lot of bouncing around. Like you, you're doing this. Like everyone wants, everyone wants to go. Oh, creativity is this, then this, then this. Creativity goes like this, and it goes all over the place. And 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 you've got to be able to have guide rails from client and yourself to be able to let that bounce around to get the right result. Um, but if you don't have those guide rails, it it ends up out somewhere out in space, and you're trying to rein that in, or you know, it's just a matter of making sure that everyone knows what direction they're heading in. So when something does go a bit skew, if you're able to pull it back in very quickly. Can you tell me, like one thing I always get confused about, or I even feel that we've never done well, and I feel like a lot of uh, 
companies like ours, yours probably does do well, but companies are our size. And is is like building your brand, kind of yeah. brand versus uh, like lead generation or sales purpose yeah, marketing. Yeah. Uh, often companies are very heavy leaning towards the like more more so than not. You'd see the big companies do a lot of the branding stuff, and then the SMEs they're doing a lot of the like buy my product, here's my product stuff. Yeah. How do you go about like how do you create a campaign? How that builds on your brand, you know, even if it's like, let's say it's carbon, it's a, you know, we've come to you for a video. Hey, we just want to build our brand. This yeah. is how we want our brand to be viewed. And you know, yeah. How, yeah. how do you, how do you actually do that? Yeah. Look, that takes a while, right? It takes a lot of those meetings where we're trying to work out your purpose, your values, what, what you're trying to achieve. You really, you've got to have that button down. We've just gone through that process again. You've got to revise these things, right? And because it does change. It changes. Yeah. Like we, we were actually saying, Simon and I were actually saying the other day, um, if we pulled out our business plan, which is on a bit of paper, we've actually not changed that much. There's there's nuances that have changed, but the core of it is still the same. And I, when it comes to building brand, it's it's got you've got to be very clear on what your vision is and what you're aligning yourself to. Like brand's all about values, and as I say, you know, brand's what people are saying about you when you're not in the room, right? So, what are you? I love what, that. what are you espousing? What are you? What are you authentically talking about? Because brand isn't what what you think everyone, what you should be to everyone else. It should be exactly what you are. And that's what we are talking about before is being in the room and being honest. What is what is Cub in all of its honesty, you know, when it, when it comes down to the core of it? And then once you establish what those values are, what you're trying to espouse to, what you're trying to change in the world, what you're trying to change as a business, that starts to form the narrative around what your brand is. So so Nike's all about athletes, right? And they, and and they don't veer from that very much. And and so all their branding is about the the authenticity of all these different athletes. No matter how cool and clever it is, the core of everything is about that authenticity piece. And something like a I'm very I'm probably going to give you a lot of basketball analogies because I love basketball. But 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 you know it's like Steph Curry. Like if you look at any of his campaigns, it's about his humbleness. It's about the fact that he works hard. It's about the fact that he's a perfectionist, right? And every one of his campaigns plays to some aspect of that. But do you think a branding agency has been like, okay, let's look at Steph? He's he's these things. Okay, they this is what down. we need. It we need to show the world this part of him, that, they, and that's what they they do. would have been talking to him forever, getting his story trying to make sure that whatever words are representing him are correct before they go and tell that story. Because you just can't go out there half-cocked. If you go out there half-cocked, people are going to see through it. They're going to go, hang on, that brand doesn't represent that because the brand represents something for everybody else, right? That's the story that they're formulating about your brand. So you've got to give them the right material to formulate the right story. But that means they'll call you out for anything that doesn't fit your brand. So if all of a sudden, I don't know, you decide that you, you, you're going green because everyone else is going green, they'll call you out for greenwashing straight away because it doesn't fit your values. There might be a way that you can fit into that. Yeah, I was going to say, there might be, white brain's not green now. Yeah, but you know what I mean. There's, but, but there's a way of being able to tell that narrative. And there's a lot of people that aren't doing what we do. I mean, you know, there's, there's straight-out branding firms that help 
people do that. There's PR people that help them formulate that rhetoric around their their companies. So even when things are going a little bit like you know straying for that brand, the language brings it back in again, right, and mitigates any of that sort of risk. So there's a lot of work at the beginning of any sort of brand building to be able to tell the right stories. So really, it's 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 about finding what is authentic about your brand. Yeah. Like it's really, I guess it's really like we're talking about like selling, you know, to be your authentic self and that's going to be your best opportunity to connect with someone and therefore for them want to want to do business yeah. with you. Yeah. And Is also with your brand, show its authenticity and people that connect with that will connect with it. And talk about what it gives back to you as well. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like you're talking, we're talking about strategic versus tactically, right? That's that's kind of where we are. So you're talking about SMEs going out there and doing these tactical sort of stings and they're doing their digital marketing and that's all about um, selling, right? We're sell, sell, selling. So I think Mark Ritson, who's very good in this marketing space, he talks about sort of a two-speed marketing plan, which is brand being your slow track and your, and your digital marketing and all those sort of below-the-line style things or through the line now is it, it's and bouncing around. So they, they're the tactical sting. So it's Easter, you better buy my stuff. It's Christmas coming, it's Mother's Day is coming up, you know, all those sorts of things about moving product. And then what is that brand that builds those products, what do they stand for, is constantly flowing at a slow rate across the top of all of that. So it's like I know what that brand represents. Oh, I've got to go get myself a pair of those shoes. You know, they're, they're, they're two, two different ways of thinking about that brand. But you, the, the, the slow track is that brand build and how does that relate to you in your life rather than just, uh, you know, it's, it's a pair of Nikes and that doesn't mean anything to anyone. Yeah. I just think it's something that SMEs don't do enough is the branding. A, like you're saying, it is slower so it's – probably by nature more expensive. Yeah. The ROI is long term, not short term. Yeah. And um and also it requires budget to actually get it viewed for people to view it. So yeah. there are a lot of But there's also consistency barriers. and it doesn't need to be expensive anymore. I mean, look, you know, uh, online and influencers and all these different people have proven that. I mean, you know, Mr Beast is freaking huge and 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 it's not done in a traditional way it's not like he's putting out a brand ad and then he's doing like a what they used to call an above the line campaign he's he's consistency that's how he's building his brand and, it, and he's about it, it comes down to authenticity he knows exactly what his listeners are about he know he does the same sorts of things consistently and he's doing it in a what used to be a cheap way. He's not doing it anymore because it's it's a brand and it's a business and he's built that up. But it just shows you you don't have to do these things in a traditional way anymore. There's there's people with an iPhone filming themselves and they're, they're building their brand by just consistently having the same values come through in their videos. So so consistently sharing of values is, is – Yeah. And you can do that in – Inexpensively, inexpensive, and that is where. Can you just explain who Mr. Beast is for the list? I know who he is. Oh but. yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I only know because I've got like a thirteen-year-old and a fourteen-year-old, um, two boys, and and they watch Mr. Beast all the time. But this guy is he's the world's largest world's YouTuber. YouTuber, and he uh, came from the gaming world, and then now he's doing multi-million-dollar productions for YouTube based on the data that he gets back from his channels. So he is feeding data straight back into the next production. So he might know that, I don't know, uh, 
elephant toothpaste or one of those sorts of weird experiments is what everyone's into and searching for. So he'll feed that back into his next video. He did a, a online version of Squid Games, which would cost him over a million bucks to produce, and, and, and it was huge. I watched it. So yeah. I had never watched him before. Ever. Yeah. And I went to the YouTube in my TV in my bedroom and it wasn't logged in. Yeah. So it wasn't showing me what I typically watch, which is pretty much just UFC stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but but, um, but anyway, so it, it had this Mr. Beast thing on the on the screen. I was like, well, whatever. Because I, I had listened yeah. to him on Joe Rogan. I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. So I knew who he was. I knew he was like the YouTube guy. I watched it. I swear to you, I reckon I stayed on my bed for about an hour Watching like I think it was three to four different yeah uh, videos. There, there were so maybe not now because there were I think I remember there were, there were fairly long like ten minutes in a bit each or something, but I watched all of them and I I was thinking I wasn't interested in any of that at the end but I was like but I stayed captivated like he knew what he was doing like I was there I was I didn't care for it it wasn't really something I typically watch yet I watched it. <laughs> well, the thing is, he is because of the YouTube algorithms and his understanding of that. He's actually changed narrative structure, right? So it used to be that, you know, you you do this build up and then you get to a climax and then you kind of do a call to action and all that sort of thing. He puts the climax at the beginning. You know exactly what's going to be in the video because if he's got you in the first 10 seconds, then he's got you, right? And so he's made all of these different things about based on the algorithm and the way that YouTube interprets somebody's view and the way that he can make money out or monetize that. So he's putting things up front. So you kind of go, here's the climax. And then it goes, and this is how we did it. So, but then come back to the climax. So he holds people for a while. And funnily enough, all those methods have now sort of started drip feeding into marketing and advertising campaigns. The sort of online content that we do, we do a, this is what we did. This is how we did it kind of model because people want to see their brand up front. They want to see the benefits straight away. And then if you still got people, then you're able to explain that away throughout that whole campaign. So it's interesting how everything is influencing each other. TikTok's doing the same thing for us. All those Kia ads that you see, they're all TikTok moves. Like we, we are, are they like, your ads that you did? Did yeah, you yeah, guys created? Yeah. yeah. We, we watch everything. We watch everything. We look at everything. We're getting getting influences from everywhere, everything from events through to TikToks through to, you know, whatever it is. You'll kind of sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's a cool move. That's so how cool. did you come up with that campaign, the, the Kia campaign? Uh, it, that, that, well, the one I'm talking about is um, is a Seltos campaign and it, it, it's all about it's, – it's just about urban culture, right? So – we wanted something that was uh, highly energetic and fun and, you know, really sort of played to the the market that, that Kia wants to appeal to for that car. And so it's borrowed a whole bunch of hip-hop sort of tropes. It's borrowed a whole bunch of basketball stuff. It's borrowed, you know, all those sort of the urban vibe sort of things. It's borrowed a lot from TikTok. Um, you know, we, we, we're on Adobe Behance, which is like a library of other creative stuff. And we're going, oh, that guy's stuff's cool. This guy's stuff's cool. We're looking at creators and seeing what they're doing. So, uh, people that are going around and doing everything on a phone. Um, and then we're replicating that with big cameras and cranes and, you know, all these different expensive rigs to make it happen for broadcast. And the thing is, when you're doing creative work, you've got to, you've just got to suck up everything. Like you've got to be, you've got to put your like your your eight year old brain on 
and go, oh, my God, and be amazed by everything. Like if I was telling someone the other day, if I go to a play, which isn't as often as I'd like, I'm sitting there trying to analyse the craft of how they're going to get from one scene to the other rather than watching what the hell's actually going on. I shouldn't say that for the actor's sake, but I'm there going, okay, how are they going to get from this scene to the next scene? And then when the set breaks apart and does this amazing thing, I'm like, oh, sort of nudging my wife. She's like, would you just watch the fucking show? You know, like just calm down. But they're the sorts of things that that you go, right, how do I pull that into a campaign? What's that sort of bit that I'm borrowing from there and, and putting it up to this particular product? And this is nothing new, but creativity is putting things that look like they shouldn't be together, together. And, 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 and how do you do that in a creative way? So things that kind of float in their own islands, you go, well, actually, there's something sort of common to those things and we could ram those together and make something new. And that's how you make something that's, that's relevant for the brand, but, but also something that's unique, you know. But what I also like is that you're like – as part of the creative process and like any business owner can do this. Cause I mean, a lot of business owners, they're thinking of their own kind of brand, how they would want to, their brand to be portrayed. You know, how would you recommend people Like you were saying, you just study all these different creatives, what they're doing. How, how can others find, like do that? Every business can do it. Like, and, and again, this is from talking to other business owners in places like Cub and, and, and sort of colleagues and all that sort of stuff. Creativity doesn't need to end up on a screen. Creativity is just the way that you put things together. And in fact, my whole thing is innovation is not technology. It is the way that you put things together differently. So a lot of our innovation comes from, uh, like I said, you know, it might be a technique that you would usually use in events that we've brought into TV or it might be using some TV tricks that we're using for web or it might be in the background it might be oh, that bit of kit that we can strap to the front of a car, what if we strap that to this particular thing and made it do a different trick? And that can be with business as well. Like the, 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 my operations team are bolting together all these different systems and coming up with new shortcuts on how to, how to make money flow through, the, through our business, how do they get people on board when they're onboarding new crew, all these different new ways of being able to do things is innovation and that's what – other businesses should be doing they should be looking at everything and and i guess not not always looking for a silver bullet is the thing too like you've got to give you you've got to look at everything and then you've got to give yourself space and you'll be there and it might come to you at 2 a.m in the morning while you're trying to sleep or it could be in the car or whatever it is but it'll come to you if you're exposing yourself to everything so that's new software that's new yeah, a new show that's reading books, that's, you know, going and doing something you don't normally do. It could be doing bushwalks. Yeah, anything that, that stimulates your You've got a, to stimulate and, 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 and your senses. Yeah, that, that like for me the books is, is a big one or, or watching even YouTube videos. But anything that starts a thought, even if it's a thought you've had before, it's yeah. something you already know, it just starts you on that trail. It's like a, it's, like it's a tree. You just, that thought is the trunk and then it just you kind of go further up the tree and you go into the branch and you go to the tree and, and you get a leaf and then you and blow then off into something I, I think, new. <laughs> I, think the other, I think the other thing for me is uh, travel. If, you, if you're lucky enough to be able to travel, um, that's where my brain like I always come back reinvigorated from travel because you're just sitting there. Like my my dream state is like our family really loves going to Vietnam and we go to um, Hoi An and we've got friends there, but 
like most of the time, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, you know, I can speak a little bit of Vietnamese, not enough. But I'm there going, like, I'll be like, what's going on? And people go, I don't know. And I go, that's great. Because that's my, like, I'm, I'm, I'm zoning out. It's my relaxation state. My relaxation state is like motorbikes beeping horns and, you know, risking my well, you're life not trying thinking to. About it. You, 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 it's almost a meditation, yeah. right? And but but the thing is, you're you're sucking up stimulation from all over the place. And there's all these things of of you go, oh, at home we do it that way, but you guys are doing it this way. That's really cool, you know. And and it's. Being fish out of water is the best way for your brain to grow because you, you, you whether, and that can be done locally or overseas. But putting yourself in situations where you're like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. How am I going to get out of this situation? What am I going to do? Obviously, being as safe as you can, um, <laughs> but 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 really having to to problem solve and sort of almost you know forge new synapse pathways in your brain to go. Oh right, now I could apply that to this problem. And that actually works better for me, or, or I, I, it's it's way shorter, or it's way better, you know. And we're always doing that. We're we're always collaborating with each other within the studio. And there'll be someone that walks along and goes, "Oh yeah, you know, it's uh, I just went overseas, and these guys are doing it way better. Have you tried it this way?" And we like, "Oh yeah," because all we're trying to do is get it to be the best it can be. Yeah, no, I completely agree. If we creativity, it's essential. Like I can never be creative. Um, uh, in the office or at home, to be honest. Like for me to be creative, I have to go into like the park or the beach or the farm or like yeah. you know, put, you put your brain in that right headspace but then take some stimulus material like, you know, That's take right. good books or watch your YouTube or watch something that you're interested in. Yeah, and just get your brain, like give your brain give space. Give it space. Give yeah. it space. Oh, I completely agree. Um um, well, we do have to wrap up. So oh, okay. Thank you. So I know so if that oh, went did quick, that? didn't it? I know. Really? Yeah, that oh. went actually quicker than usual. <laughs> but um, but um, we normally finish with like uh, a book recommendation that you yep. that you may have. Is there a book that you would recommend uh, all of our listeners uh, buy and check out? Look, I um, I I tend to read little and do a lot of Audible. So Malcolm Gladwell, I'm a Malcolm Gladwell fanboy. I don't know whether you know him. Yeah, I've read all his books. Oh, my God. So I'd recommend all of his books. I'm, I'm actually listening to Bomber Mafia at the moment. Um, oh, what, what is it? Bomber Mafia. I haven't read that. Yeah, it's about it's about the guys that built the bombing, uh, bombing site for um, the American Air Force. But everything, what the ripples and everything that happens from that, because he's very clever at putting different ideas together, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. He gets two things that don't look like they fit and puts them together. So Malcolm Gladwell, if you want to read something fun, I'm a massive Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan. I try to read it like at least once a year. Uh, Douglas Adams, all of those books really make me laugh, and and I've recommended them to my kids now too. I think he has a way of thinking about things. And describing things that are quite colourful and vivid. Um, so yeah, there's two two books. Oh, excellent, thank you, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Nice to our listeners. If you want to get in contact with Nathan, you can go to at cub.club forward slash podcast, and you can find his details there, uh, along with greatest lessons in business and other cool things. If you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's also awesome. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you. It was great fun. Hope you enjoyed the show.